everyone. Welcome once again to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. That's right. This is your podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy. I am joined once again by my co-host, Rob Dunham, and special guest on the podcast today, Kyle Dunham. Welcome, Kyle. All right. Thank you. So, we got a great show in store for you. We are going to remember Sean Connery as he passed this week. Kyle is here and he's going to discuss with us uh, Halloween and horror movies and, of course, the watch list. But first, we are recording this on Thursday, November 5th. So, yes. Today is the 5th of November, which means we must remember, remember the 5th of November. Yes, that's right. It is the 5th of November, and this is my annual day to watch V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta, classic movie, Hugo Weaving as V, fantastic movie. And so I just feel like we need to start off this 5th of November with with a few words from, from V here. Voila! In view of humble vaudevillain veteran cast vicariously both as victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate, this visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi now vacant, vanished. However, this vicarious visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin, vanguard, vanguarding vice, and vouchsafing the violent, vicious, and voracious violation of volition. Yes, Fever Vendetta, 5th of November. Gotta love it. You so, may call me V. <laughs> yes. So are any of you, off the top, any of you uh, like me and feel the need to watch that movie every November 5th? I wouldn't say that I watch it every November 5th, but I do watch it often on November 5th. <laughs> it is, it is uh, one of my favorite movies, so I see it many times. Okay. Kyle, what it about you? It is literally what I will be doing the moment, yeah, the, the moment we are done, I will be going to watch it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So 5th of November, V for Vendetta. Check it out. Um, however, I want to give another shout out. There is a, uh, there is a, a couple in my church who have listened to the podcast, know that I'm a movie fan. And I wanted to give them a shout out because over about a week or so ago, they, they gave me a present, which was a thousand piece movies puzzle. And this puzzle is fantastic. It's got movie references all over the place. Everything from the bottom corner, we have uh, Blazing Saddles to the top corner, where you have The Godfather and Monty Python and the Holy Grail. This thing's got everything on it. So thanks to, uh, thanks to Gary and Barb Heinley for, uh, for, the, for the movie puzzle, and thanks for the support of the podcast and my movie obsession. So thank you for that. All right. So, you guys get ready to get started with the news? Let's do it. Okay. So, yeah. first off, we have to, we have to start with uh, probably the biggest news in movies uh, over the past week, and that was the passing of Sean Connery. Sean Connery died uh, this past, I think it was Sunday, um, at the age of 90. And Sean Connery really was movie royalty. This guy has been in so many movies for so long and had such a career. He's such a recognizable actor. Uh, and so, so we, we have to take some time to remember Sean Connery. So um, let me ask you guys, what, what, was, uh, what, was your, what was your feeling on Sean Connery? What, what does the Sean Connery as an actor, what does that bring to mind for you? Well, I know that uh, Kyle and I share a similar introduction to Sean Connery uh, in the movie The Rock, starring him and Nicolas Cage, and uh, that's probably my favorite action movie, and the first place I saw him, 
Uh, I'll let Kyle speak more on his feelings from that movie about him and his performance and his ability. Um, for me, I moved on from that and saw him in some other things. I actually saw him in a movie when I was a little kid that I had no idea that I saw him in. And that was brought up earlier on our podcast in one of our very earliest <laughs> watch lists, uh, Darby O'Gill and the little people <laughs> with like a 30 year old Sean Connery that I had no idea who that was when I was a little kid. Um, he was in this movie before he was even James Bond, which tells you how long ago it was. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I, I had the uh, unfortunate truth of having never seen a James Bond movie. Hmm. And so I went back and watched every James Bond movie in one summer because, you know, that's how you do. You go, you go hard. And yeah. uh, Sean Connery is mine. And I would guess many other people's favorite James Bond. And I think that he was the epitome of that character. Uh, classy and suave and just with a little bit of edge to him. And uh, the man was a legend. He was knighted. He was sure Sir Sean Connery. Um, there's a reason that, that he received the acclaim that he did. And uh, I'd, I'd love to hear Kyle's thoughts. I know that he doesn't have as much of a breath of seeing him in action, but um, love to hear your thoughts, Kyle, on, the rock and your impressions of Sean Connery. Uh, yeah. So I actually have a fairly funny introduction to Sean Connery. Um, because I, the first thing I saw him in was the rock and I had not really, um, delved into the James Bond universe really at all. Out, outside of playing Goldeneye on the Nintendo 64 mm. um, and seeing a little bit of snippets here and there. Um, and I remember saying out loud um, to my friend who I was watching The Rock with, man, Sean Connery would make a really good James Bond. <laughs> and him just laughing and being like, "What? why is this such a hilarious statement? Uh, um, and then he obviously informed me well, you're right, very observant of you. He would make a great James Bond. Um, and I think with Sean Connery, the thing that always stuck out to me was um, the way he carried himself in each role, um, whether small or big, uh, you could tell the seriousness that he took with that role. Um, and it's something I just always admired watching him act. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, for me, it begins and ends with the accent. The accent is Sean Connery. When you hear that voice, you know you know who it is. It's instantaneously recognizable. And I think I was reading somewhere where he said he wanted to use his accent. He was not going to do other accents. He was going to use his natural voice because he felt like things sound more authentic when they're spoken in your natural voice. Um, so Sean Connery is universally recognized for his accent. Um, the Rock was actually not my introduction to Sean Connery. I, it's hard for me to remember exactly which one I saw first, but I think the first Sean Connery movie I saw was probably Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, so that is, that is probably my introduction to Sean Connery. Um, but I have always enjoyed, I've always enjoyed his role. He's, he's always one of the, one of the actors where everyone tries to like mimic the Sean Connery accent. And so he just has an indelible touch on the movie industry. And, and he's just, everyone knows who he is. Everyone recognizes him. And it's hard to find anyone who doesn't like him in something. I would say that yes. That is correct. <laughs> and oh, you would be remiss to not acknowledge uh, the portrayal of Sean Connery on Celebrity Jeopardy, which yes. is probably the best character in the history of that skit. Yes. <laughs> Shuck it, Trebek. <laughs> That's the way your mother likes an it. album cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh they're so good they're so good 
Oh. Well, you'll have to look those up because we, we don't want to offend the children that might be watching. Yes, all of our fans podcast. All of our children. Yes. Fans we're, we're huge in the 10 to 15 demographic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, along with along with the 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 remembrance of Sean Connery have come out some lists of of some of his potential best movies and like mm. the list of his top 10 movies. So um, the thing about him is his career just spans such a long period of time. He's got close to a 50 year career in movies. And, and so, you know, being the fact that none of us are that old, um, it, it's hard to go back to all of them and, and, and see all of them. But what, what are some of your favorite movies? So pick a, pick one or two, of your favorite Sean Connery movies? I think we should let the guest go first. So, Kyle, what do you say about uh, your favorite Sean Connery movie? Um, I mean, it, it could be nostalgia because it was the first. Um, I might argue it's the best um, is The Rock. I, I think everything about that movie came together. I think the casting was perfect um i even like nicholas cage in that movie which is a rare thing for me to say um (laughs) it just came together so well and how he how he made that movie flow um it it is just one of the best performance i've ever seen yeah i would i would have to echo thoughts on the rock that it was an incredible performance and i would have to say that probably my uh, favorite Sean Connery movie, and it's not really a movie, it's the series, is just his portrayal of James Bond. Because as I said earlier, I have watched all of them, and I think he did the best, most compelling, uh, most real take on the character. It's almost as if the books were written with him in mind. Uh, I think he's just the perfect casting for that. So... James Bond as a whole would be where I would go with Sean Connery. So for me, I'm going to, I have a little bit of a toss up, but I'm going to go with, I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go with the hunt for red October. Mm. Um, I love the hunt for red October. I love the Tom, the Tom Clancy movies and his portrayal of Marco Ramius, the Russian sub captain was just fantastic. Um, that movie was amazing. It was so good. It was so well done. The book was so well written. Um, I remember reading that Tom Clancy actually got himself investigated by the government because of how much he knew about their subs because <laughs> his <laughs> research was so good. Uh, but that really came out in the movie and Sean Connery, um, was just fantastic. And the, the movie I mentioned earlier, the Indiana Jones and the last crusade, that is just a hall of fame cast right there with the, that pairing of Sean Connery and Harrison Ford is second to none. I mean, that movie was so good. And the character interaction between those two was amazing. And I think that was the strongest of the three uh, Indiana Jones movies. Though Raiders of the Lost Ark was also fantastic, you know, but I mean, nothing can touch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but, you know, in, oh, in, in oh, reference to that. <laughs> oh, why, why do you have to say such heretical things on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, oh, no. Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. Got it. Got to love Sad it. Shia LaBeouf noises. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, 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 what's, what's intriguing to me is that his portrayal in the Indiana Jones movies he looks like he's 70 or 80 in those. And he was, he was like in his forties and fifties. <laughs> he, he's one of those guys who's looked old for like 40 years. Yeah. Like it, it was almost a little surprising to me to hear that he was 90 years old. I mean, the guy was uh, up until very recently, like just incredibly prolific and active. And yeah. uh, it's almost hard to imagine him not being active. Like yeah. it, it it's shocking, even though he was 90 years old, it's shocking that he's gone. Yeah. So one other kind of comical thing is I was looking up these lists of like best Sean Connery movies. Um, I came across the movie Zardoz from 1974. And the picture that came up with this movie was Sean Connery in like 
a suit that was very close to the Borat swimsuit. And let me tell you, that was a very disturbing image. Like I cannot unsee Sean Connery in this like like thong jumpsuit thing. Oh, it was. Yeah, I, I, I've had the unfortunate uh, time of also seeing that picture in my past. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I did not, not look, look for it. Okay, Just, <laughs> I didn't see it randomly. <laughs> yeah. So I and I want to I want to give another shout out to a to another movie that I liked from. Um, from the early 2000s, and that was Finding Forrester. Mm. A really, really solid drama movie where he plays uh, a shut-in recluse uh, in the Bronx uh, who was a famous writer when he was younger, and he ends up mentoring this, uh, this inner-city basketball player um, and teaching him to be a great writer. It's just a fantastic uh, character development story. So if you but- haven't seen Finding Forrester, that's definitely one to check out. Finding Forrester will always have a special place in my heart because it is one of the movies that LBC allowed me to watch on campus when they had the rule that you couldn't go to the movie theater. So, you know, it was one of my rare pieces of actual culture that I got to experience when I was a young college student. Nice. (laughs) All right. So, Sean Connery, you will be missed. And we thankfully have a very large collection of movies to remember you by. So let's move on to let's move on to just we won't spend a ton of time on this, but uh, Christopher Nolan finally came out and and spoke about the performance of Tenant, and he did an interview earlier this week, and he said he was thrilled with the numbers that the box office uh, generated for Tenant, and he had some really interesting things to say. Um, Going back to the numbers, Tenant has made, to this point, Tenant has made around $350 million worldwide, uh, made about $53 million in the U.S. Now, this is certainly a down, a downtake from some of his previous movies. Uh, Inception made $826 million, and Interstellar made $677 million. So it's certainly down, but given the climate, and given that this was literally the first movie uh, first major release um, when theater started to come back. Uh, he said he was thrilled. And I want to read, I really want to read one of his quotes here um, where he talks about, and he puts it, he puts the numbers kind of in larger perspective where he says, uh, Warner Brothers released Tenant, and I'm thrilled that it has made almost 350 million, but I'm worried that the studios are drawing the wrong conclusion from our release that rather than looking at where the film has worked well and how it can provide them with much needed revenue, they're looking at where it hasn't lived up to pre-COVID expectations and will start using that as an excuse to make exhibition take all the losses from the pandemic instead of getting in the game and adapting or rebuilding our business, in other words. I thought that was a really, really fascinating quote. This is, I mean, this echoes some of my feelings and my sentiments. It was interesting to hear Christopher Nolan come out on this side. So what, what do you make of what Christopher Nolan had to say about Tenet? I would say that, and this is no shade on you, uh, it is exactly what you said, just using smarter words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have no problem admitting that Christopher Nolan is a better, is a better, uh, better articulator of words than I am. <laughs> um, in some ways, I, I, I would think that uh, a little bit, I question like, what else would he say? Um, yeah. I think it'd be hard for him to come out and say, yeah, I'm really disappointed in my movie and how it did. And like, it, it would, it, uh, first of all, I think that it would do a disservice to what he had created, but I also think that it would make him look bitter mm-hmm. and like people would be like, really, you're going to complain about this? Like with everything else, like, you know, happening like everywhere right now. Um, so I'm not, I, I, I think the way he articulated it, it does make some sense. Uh, whether he entirely believes it or not, I think is a, a fair question. But I, I, I would say the thing that he brought up that resonates and is most powerful is why are we so intently focused on just the American market when it's been proven that if we push the release other places, places that in some cases have zero cases because of how they handle things, why can't we do that and 
be focused more on that and let it succeed as opposed to catering to only the American audience. And it seems like the movie industry in general is bent that way. And I think that as Americans, it's very easy to be self-centered and say, well, they can't release it somewhere else before I get to see it. But um, the world is a global world. And I think he makes a fair point that maybe that needs to, that thought process needs to be reevaluated. Uh, I'm interested in hearing Kyle's thoughts on this too. Is I didn't have a chance to talk to him about it ahead of time. So I have not yet seen the movie. Um, Unacceptable. I've heard nothing but good things about the movie. Um, I know. Um, but it is correct to say that he is saying the right thing and you want to believe that he is saying it from a place that is genuine and I have no reason to believe he's not being genuine based on the stories he has told that I've seen in my lifetime he strikes me as someone who just loves telling stories and the fact of the matter is he is not operating with a machine behind him like Disney that can just drop a movie on a streaming service and say, here you go. Like, we're going to take the hit on this. That's just not where he's at. And I think, to me, my view was he wanted to get the movie out. He wanted to get his story out because it was, by all accounts, a very well-done movie and story. And what do people need right now? An escape. Yeah. Yeah, that's been one of the main things that we've been talking about through this whole pandemic situation is um, the loss of not having theaters as an option is actually a major thing. It's not just a small diversion. Uh, People need this, um, you know, to be able to get away from some of the stuff that's going on in their lives and I mean, there. It's not the most important thing, but uh, it is an industry that is more important, I think, than some people uh, think because they just think of it as frivolous or extraneous. But I think it's more than that. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that Nolan has done is he's positioned himself as kind of the. I don't want to say it. He's the he's the directional leader of the movie industry. He's, he's routinely called on things. He's routinely called on the movie industry to take a certain path or to take a certain direction. So he has in the past uh, set himself up in that role. And as, as kind of the, I don't want to say moral arbiter, but like the directional, the directional arbiter of the movie industry where he seems to take the longer view that, uh, that some of the other industry executives don't. So um, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear his thoughts and uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. Let's, uh, let's move on to our discussion for the, for the evening. And so what we're going to do now is since we're, we're a week behind, but Halloween was last week and Halloween has its own kind of feel when it comes to movies and Halloween, during that season, horror movies tend to take the lead. And since neither Rob nor I would consider ourselves anything close to experts on horror movies, not my favorite genre, we thought we would bring on a special guest who is much more versed in the horror movie genre. And that's why Kyle was with us tonight. So... Kyle, let's let's talk about let's talk about Halloween and horror movies. So let's start out with the question: This, and you can take this whatever direction you want to. Is what do you think the connection is between the season of Halloween and horror movies? And you can get into you can get into horror movies and what what they're all about as well. So I think. In, in a more simple way, uh, it's also the time of year. So this is the time of year where our, at least in the Northeast, so this is from a Northeast perspective, our weather is changing. It's getting colder. 
it's getting darker earlier. Like these are things that are happening. Leaves are changing. Um, so I've always viewed this as the time of year to like really tucker in at home and watch good horror movies because what else are you going to do? And it's just now that I'm married, like it's fun to sit down and and watch a horror movie with my wife, um, have her be scared to death and me be fine. Um, He just likes getting his hand held, let's be honest. It's just an enjoyable (laughs) thing for me like this time. That's true. Uh, nothing wrong with a good uh, handhold. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think it's it, it's about the time of year, um, and you know, it's just like just something with the weather, something with the seasons changing. Um, it just brings up those uh, those feelings and like the desire to like you know stay in and watch a good movie. Um, and then obviously with everything. Uh, with Halloween um, and the history of how Halloween started and all of that and um, just people are drawn to wanting to be scared or like spooked or things like that like it's obviously the horror genre would not um, they're not always the best movies in most cases they are the worst movies (laughs) Um, critically speaking, um, but there's something that people like about, um, suspending that, uh, that disbelief, which is, um, I didn't tell Rob this, but I I view a huge connection between my like for horror and my like for professional wrestling, because in both, you have to extremely suspend your disbelief to really enjoy it. Because what you're looking at, in most cases, you're going, I know this is not real, but I'm going to choose to pretend it is and really enjoy it. Hmm. Interesting. So we, we see that there's, there is a broad range even within the horror genre. Um, because you see some things like Quiet Place, which is kind of a thriller and kind of scary-ish in terms of a suspense thing, all the way to the other end where you have like the evil demonic like possession type stuff. So what, where, where does horror sit for you? Do you have a definition of horror movies? Like how does that, how does that work for you? So this is something Rob and I discussed a little bit. Um, my definition of a horror movie is a little different than traditional. And I, because it's such a wide scope, the, horror is probably the only movie genre that I can think of that there are genres, subgenres, and subgenres to the, the other ones. Like, there are just so many ways you can go with a horror movie. Um, it's insane. Um, so, what I look for in a horror movie is. Um, is this movie trying to, in some way, alter me psychologically in the sense that it's trying to raise my nerves? It's trying to frighten me. It's trying to make me feel uneasy. So in out of the box example, I gave Rob a little while ago of a movie that is not classified as horror in any way. But under my definition, if you really look at it, could be is the movie Uncut Gems. Because when I watch Uncut Gems, I see that the makers of that movie intentionally tried to make you feel uncomfortable. There is a line throughout that entire movie where they are making you feel uneasy. They are putting you in his shoes and they want you to feel uncomfortable. They want you to feel what he's feeling. And to me, that is a staple of the horror genre and horror in general is it's it's mind-altering it's trying to take you from where you are and like remove you and like you know heighten your senses frighten you um it's why the the horror movies i like the most um are actually ones where there's not much like gore or blood or anything like that i will watch those um uh but what i really enjoy from a horror movie is a horror movie where i never see like a monster 
So there's a movie called It Comes at Night, which is one of my favorite horror movies. You never see what's actually attacking this family. Mm-hmm. Um, a Quiet Place, um, you see the monsters, but just enough. Um, m- movies like that where you have to go and use your own imagination of, you know, what is this monster or what's going on or why is this happening? Um, I think those are, for me, the best. So that's more like the, uh, the Alfred Hitchcock style or where it's more psychological. Yeah, I would say uh, Uncut Gems was like the, my, the, yeah. best, the best hour and a half panic attack I've ever had in my life. <laughs> um, I, I've also seen It Comes at Night, and I'm not a huge fan of horror movies, and that's one that I really, really like. And it's, I think it's because I am also more bent towards psychological terror than actual blood and guts. Although, if we're going blood and guts direction, I would say that my favorite in that genre is probably Cabin in the Woods because it just lampoons everything about that, like the -the over-the-top nature of what's actually happening uh, in a horror movie. If you have not seen Cabin in the Woods, you should watch that movie as soon as possible because it is hilarious. Nice. Yeah. So... That's another small thing about the horror genre is there Cabin in the Woods is one, Scream is one. Um, we just watched a movie, my wife and I, um, called Ready or Not, which is thriller horror kind of, but there's a subgenre of horror which is openly satirical of horror. It hmm. still falls under the horror category, but it's almost paying homage to those tropes. So I remember watching uh, Cabin in the Woods with Rob, and he had seen it, I hadn't. And this might be a spoiler. Um, There's a scene where a character is pulled out of a window, and I just turn to Rob and go, well, he's not dead. (laughs) And Rob just looks at me confused and goes, well, how could you possibly know that? And I said, it's very simple. It did not show him die. Hmm. But it it was done in such a way that it was almost comical. and I agree with Rob. That is, if you have not seen that movie, that is a, a must-watch uh, horror experience. Excellent, excellent. So, give us uh, give us uh, some of your favorite Halloween horror movies. If uh, if you're into that particular genre, what what are some things that uh, what are some things we should watch? So, um, I I have to mention. Um, not in a super serious light, um, but in a, if you're looking to kill a little bit of time and you want to go, why did I just do that afterwards? Um, Ernest Scared Stupid yes. is one of the worst things I've ever watched, and I still have to watch it every year. Um, it is phenomenally bad that it's good. Um, it, it falls kind of under the same category that Troll 2 falls under, um, the one thing Troll 2 has over Ernest is that there is no Troll 1. <laughs> and it's not about trolls. <laughs> um, so, also a very, very good movie. Um, uh, outside of that, um, just based on the time of year, it's not really a part of the plot line, um, but Sinister is an incredibly well-done movie. It's done around Halloween. It's not extremely focused on the season, but it's in that time frame. Um, and it's just an incredibly uh, well done. Um, it's about a pagan deity um, called the ghoul uh, who uh, transfers himself through images, which is a frightening thing to think about um, actually being real. Um, but it's just so well done. Um, and it's like a an edge of your seat kind of experience. Um, and then if you want to go quintessential, in my opinion, you, you're around Halloween, you need to watch a Halloween movie. You have to watch Halloween. Um, it is the end all be all to me of around Halloween movies. Um, now I will say, uh, I only observe Halloween, the original and Halloween 2018. I, I have 
disowned all other movies in the Halloween franchise. <laughs> um, because what Halloween 2018 did was essentially that. So when they made Halloween 2018, they erased the entire canon and said, nope, it was just the original Halloween and this. Um, and it was just such... I just watched that this week, actually, again. And it is such a well-done movie. Um, my favorite tidbit about the newest Halloween, which is part of a trilogy with Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, which are being made, is that the co-writer and executive director of that is Danny McBride of Eastbound and Down fame. Um, the reason why I love that little tidbit so much is because right now, two of our best horror makers are Danny McBride, who's known for being this outrageous comedian, and Jordan Peele, who's known for being this outrageous comedian. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like, I would love to talk to them about the connection between comedy and horror, because there obviously is one for them, that they can go from that world to telling, it's not just comic-based horror movies, they are telling incredible stories in horror movies. Jordan Peele might be one of the best storytellers of my generation, like hands down the stories that he has been able to tell with his movies. Yeah. I've heard really yeah, well, good things about those. Well, we'll get our people on that and we'll get them booked for a future podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, that's, that's good stuff. I would also recommend this is uh, non non-specific to movies, but movie tangential is that, uh, if you have ever listened to the podcast Song Exploder, which is actually a music podcast, um, it goes into detail about how songs are made, breaking them down to the very basic bones of, we started out with this keyboard sound, and we made this progression, and then we added this and this and this. And one of my favorite episodes of the entire podcast is talking to the guy who wrote the Halloween theme song, hmm. uh, the, the famous piano intro that is just absolutely horrifying and terrifying if you've seen the movie. Because as soon as you hear the notes, you can see everything that happened. Um, it's just one of those songs that's that effective. So I would recommend that episode of Song Exploder if you have an opportunity uh, on the Halloween theme song. And then one last point on horror. Um, which I meant to bring up and forgot, but you reminded me, um, is I could make a very solid argument that in horror, music is the most important element. And arguably, there is no genre that requires music to be on point more than horror. Because mm -hmm. when you hear that Halloween song, when you hear the song from Saw, when you hear horror uses music to get you amped up for something, um it trains you to get ready to be scared and then really good horror movies do the reverse where they'll amp you up with music and then there'll be nothing and that scares you in a whole different way but music is used so importantly in horror and when done right like in the halloween franchise when in the saw franchise music has always been used well um it just heightens that experience even more I, f I find it interesting the dichotomy and fact that uh, music and silence are two of the most important things when it comes to horror movies. And I think that's why A Quiet Place was so effective because of how much it played on the fact that silence is terrifying because we're trained to expect something bad to happen. Like what's the, the common phrase that we hear since we're a little kid? It's too quiet. Like something's going to happen. And so to have uh, music, which is this boisterous thing, and then silence, which is this lack of everything, both having such an impact on horror is really in interesting to me. All right. Well, let's move on to our watch list. Uh, so we'll start out with movies we watched over the past week. And uh, Rob, what do you got? So interestingly enough, uh, seeing this episode coming up, I decided to watch a couple scary movies mm -hmm. uh, myself. And uh, 
I want to start out with one that uh, the first time I saw it, I did not appreciate it as much as when I rewatched it recently. And I, I think the reason is that I, I was not really appreciating what it was or um, acknowledging, you know, what it actually accomplished. And that's the movie Monster House. I don't know if either of you guys have seen that movie, but it's an animated movie from uh, the mid two thousand, mid to late 2000s. Um, and Monster House, to me, is probably, and I said this to my wife, she agreed with me after rewatching it, that it's probably the most effective children's horror movie I've ever seen. Hmm. And when I say that, I, what I mean is it, is it is a movie that is made basically to terrify kids. And it's not bloody and it's not gory. Like, it plays off all of the stereotypes and archetypes of what would scare a child. Uh, in the movie, the house, Monster House, is actually a house that is alive. It is possessed by the soul of this old man's wife who died in the house. And the reason why the house is alive and terrorizing the neighborhood is because the lady who spirit it is was terrorized by children as as she lived her life because she was a bigger lady. She was uh, an outcast and her worst night every year was Halloween because kids would come and pick on them and break their house and throw stones at their windows and just be like little turd heads, which kids can be. And um, so the, the characters are just terrified of this old man who is trying to keep kids away from his house. And it turns out the reason he's trying to keep kids away from his house is because he does not want the house to hurt them. So it starts out with you thinking that he's the bad guy. And it turns out that he's actually the good guy. Hmm. But it does such a good job of putting you in the shoes of a little kid. Like, wondering if I actually saw what I think I saw. Like, at one point, the kid gets a phone call and picks it up, and there's only, the, like, a sound of creaking and groaning. And he's like, what is this? So he star six nines the number. If you remember what that is, you... <laughs> call someone back when you don't have their number show up on your caller ID. And he hears the phone across the street ringing and there's no one in the house. So for a little kid, that would be like one of the most terrifying things ever. Like there's no one over there and I just got a call from there. Um, I think as an adult, we would more, we would be more likely to rationalize it. Like, Oh, there's probably somebody in there that I didn't see, you know, but for a little kid, it's like the ghost is calling me. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend it. It is like my, my kids hated it and loved it because they did not like being scared, but by the end of it, they loved the movie. So the, it's, it's still a kid's movie, but it's just, I, I think one of the reasons why I was so confused by it before is I don't know of any other movies that really fit that description or, or sub genre. Like a, it's, it's a horror movie that seems specifically made for kids which I found fascinating. Yeah. Um, I know he didn't prepare anything ahead of time, but I'm wondering if Kyle has uh, a movie that he watched this last week that he hasn't talked about yet or, or very recently that he could talk about. Oh boy. On the spot. Um, <laughs> so That's what we recently, do here. We I make actually, people uncomfortable. I, it's I, the horror I, episode. I know this is a, I know this is a, I know this is a movie podcast, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and throw a curveball since you want to throw one at me. Mm. Um, <laughs> my wife and I have been watching through the series Ratchet on uh, Netflix, um, and uh, it is uncomfortable at times. Um, but yeah, if you if you have a time, I think it's an eight episode season. Um, uh, Ratchet on Netflix is probably worth your time. It's it's a compelling story, and there's a lot of nuance in it, um, and a lot of good um, small character work done by some of the uh, lesser characters in it, for sure. What would you say is the basic premise of the show, if you had to boil it down to a couple sentences? Uh, so it revolves around um, a nurse, and I think, I don't quote me on this, but I think it's set somewhere in like the 1930s, 
um, and she's a nurse at this men mental hospital um, that just received a patient who um, was convicted of killing, I think it was like five priests um, in one night at, at a home. Uh, so they have him at this mental institution. Um, they want to work with him and figure out what's wrong. The state wants, to, um, and then there's just a whole mess of other things that happen at this facility um, involving an innumerable amount of people. Sounds fascinating. Awesome. All right, it's your turn, Mr. Ryan. So uh, I won't spend a ton of time on the movies I watched because this was, it ended up being a, a kind of a, a movie catch up week or movie rehash. <laughs> week. I got a, I got a free, I got a free trial of Showtime over the weekend. And so I was watching some stuff that was available on Showtime. And so um, I watched, uh, I watched the rhythm section, which we, which we spent some time on an earlier podcast talking about the rhythm section. Uh, good, solid movie. Blake Lively, Jude Law, uh, and then I watched The Matrix. Um, I was kind of tired last night, and uh, and so I'm just like, I need to put on a movie that I've seen a bunch of times because I just don't feel like engaging have a, in in a heavy mental way with a movie I haven't seen before. So I so I rewatched The Matrix, and you know, while some of the graphics certainly don't hold up anymore, and the like, the ground breaking nature is gone. Uh, the story is still compelling, and you can tell how much it's seeped into the national consciousness. Um, you hear people talking about, like, you know, taking the red pill or, or something like they're having their awakening or their matrix moment or, or things like that. It's just, it's so ingrained in culture at this point. Um, so, yeah, it's a good, good classic movie, and I'm about halfway through my annual November 5th V for Vendetta watch, so I will be continuing. All right, All right. so uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about what we got coming up this week and what we want to watch this week. So uh, I'll start on this one. Uh, so I, I found both versions of Clash of the Titans on i think i want to say netflix but um both versions of clash of the titans so the original version of clash of the titans was 1981 laura olivier and harry hamlin and the newer version was 2010 starring uh, sam worthington and liam neeson and i remember liking clash of the titans the original one a lot when i was a kid it has uh the kind of probably the most famous thing about it was the uh, the little owl that flew all over the place and was kind of annoying. He was kind of like uh, he became kind of known as uh, as almost like the Jar Jar Binks character of that movie that he just flew around and was annoying. Uh, but it, it's a cool movie, so I I'd love to go back and watch the two of them back to back. Uh, then I want to get back to the theaters this week, so. Um, there is uh, the local theater is running some is running some past releases that look really interesting. I mean, one of them is uh, 1917 back at IMAX theater, which could be really really cool to see again. Uh, or Raiders of the Lost Ark. I I would love the opportunity to see Raiders of the Lost Ark in theater. Um, and then one of the one of the new movies coming out this week is actually Let Him Go um, with. Uh, Diane Lane and uh, Kevin Costner. It's kind of a kind of a thriller western type movie, uh, which was interesting. I actually saw actual commercials for this movie on TV, so it was so, kind of cool to see movie promos on TV again. It's been a while, so uh, that's what I got going on. Rob, what do you got? Uh, so I was just looking at some of the stuff that has been uh, dropped the beginning of the month here, and. Uh, one that I'm going to check out and I, we've talked about um, on a previous podcast is Kingdom of Heaven because I've not actually seen that movie before. Yes, got to see that one. So uh, I'm going to check that out. And uh, 28 Days Later, I also just saw it. Both of those movies are on Amazon Prime. Um, I think I've only seen 28 Days Later once, uh, but 
given the world situation that we're in right now and, <laughs> and the Halloween situation, that might be a, a good one to watch right in the moment. So I think I'll at least check those two out. I'm sure, uh, you know, I always hope that I can watch more <laughs> than I end up getting to watch. Um, but uh, Thanksgiving break is coming soon, so there will be time to watch movies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, one more curveball there, Kyle. You have anything you're planning on watching? This one I'm prepared for because I, I I knew you did the watch list. I um, but what I'm watching is actually behind me. Um, I did that intentionally. So, for different reasons, I'm I'm gonna have to watch Scott Pilgrim versus the World because I need to watch that at least once every three months for my life to continue. Um, <laughs> it's probably other than The Princess Bride, the movie I've watched most in my life. Um, The Empire Strikes Back because I I need to sit down and watch a movie and just forget. Um, you know, I, there's so much going on in this world, and um, there's no movie. Uh, that I've ever seen that helps me escape everything more than the Empire Strikes Back. There, there, there you go. And then The Lovely Bones, um, mm. which is not a critically acclaimed movie. Um, it is one of my favorite books. Um, I'd say the movie like blew me away, um, but the story of The Lovely Bones is just, it's such a good story. Um, and I think Stanley Tucci is incredible in that movie. Um, and I think it's always worth the, the time to sit down and watch. Coincidentally, we can talk about the fact that uh, Stanley Tucci is so effective in this movie because he's like my wife's favorite actor, and she hates that movie hmm. because of how good he is. Hmm. <laughs> because she does not want him to be a creepy guy. And hmm. he is disturbing in, in the role in The Lovely Bones, without a doubt. But sometimes we need to watch things that scare us, which is kind of what this whole episode has been about. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the show for today. Uh, we just want to thank you for checking out the podcast. Uh, make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast feed you like to get them at. Check out our YouTube channel and uh, leave us some comments and reviews. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And visit filmforfans.com as we'll keep posting some things on there. And until next week, enjoy the movies. Go get scared. <laughs>